Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here, back with your weekly episode of Ranching Reboot. This week's guest we brought on to talk about some of the issues that are facing quite a few of us, succession and people management. And when it comes to the topic of succession, I think he's got quite a bit of experience. His family ranch dates back to the early 1800s with the Spanish land grant. They had a family partnership that ran for 113 years and a family corporation that was around for about 50. They've been through multiple succession events, and he's got a lot of great perspectives on the subject. So stick around and enjoy the conversation we have today with John Coleman Locke from the Locke Division of the world-famous J.D. Hudgens Brahma Operation. No, you're good. So you're in, I never know the town, but you're basically outside of Houston, right? Yeah, we're 50 miles southwest of Houston. What's the, is it super hot still there? Oh, yeah. It's always hot. You like hot, though. I've read that on your social media is you like hot weather. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but it's funny because I'm. That's one of been my one of my personal challenges the last, I guess, six or eight months. I'm I'm actually getting comfortable with the cold. And it's, oh wow, from traveling yeah, and stuff. Yeah, traveling, and then just just one of those things I've always always dreaded cold and hated cold, and started to investigate well, how much of that's in my head and how much of it's yeah. real. So, but I like my sweat. It's good for you. Well, how was everything last February? How how did the polar vortex reach you down there in Hungerford, Texas? Man, it was wild. Um, it's funny how these weather events happen. Like we, when we had Harvey, you know, it's like nothing on the radar, nothing going on. And then all of a sudden they have this spectacular storm so accurately predicted two weeks out. And most of the time they can't tell us with any accuracy whether it's going to rain tomorrow or not. Right. You know? And the, it reminded me of the vortex. It's like when it started getting closer and you start hearing, okay, well, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to get down to this, you know, to eight degrees. And at first you think, no, there's no way. And then all of a sudden, you know, the closer it gets, you think, man, this really, really might uh, come to fruition. And it was cool. Um, people get pretty dramatic around weather events with good reason, but it's funny maybe Harvey just taught me that or maybe it's every accumulation of all the other stuff that I've been through right but it's just something that you know it's just a challenge and and something to manage through and then hopefully you can tell your grandkids about so we got down to eight many many people in this area lost power for days on end it's we're not set up for it you know construction's not right for it we don't even have the proper gel in our diesel fuel and that kind of stuff um, we were lucky we only lost power for like eight or ten hours and we kind of had a cool plan for the cows and everything worked perfectly. We lost one baby calf that actually was born during the freeze and mm. a little out of season. 
and it, it was um it lived and it was like three days later it got down into the 30s and we had moved the cows away from shelter and we lost it then so the cows handle it really well and just you know another learning experience so well good deal so john for our listeners why don't you uh tell us where you're at and a little bit about your operation okay so we're 50 miles southwest of houston our headquarters is in a little town called hungerford uh, my ranching operation and my main cow herd is out just outside of a little town called Glen Flora, uh, which is Spanish for flower meadow. And uh, it's about six miles north of Wharton, Texas. Um, fairly interesting story, I guess. Our ancestors settled this area in the late, well, actually the early 1800s. Um, it would have been, I get mixed up on my grades, but like my great, great, great grandfather came to Texas in 1839. Mm -hmm. three years after the Alamo and settled basically in this area and um, around the turn of the century or just before with this I guess you could call it cruel environment that we have here and their struggle to make a uh, living in ag any kind of agribusiness but mainly in ranching uh, they identified that the Indian cattle were cattle that could handle the heat and humidity and the insects. And so they started to latch on to all the Indian genetics that they could get, which was not easy in that time. And so 1908, our official family partnership was formed. So we've been 113 years in business this year as a, as a partnership. And then in 1963, we were incorporated. So we've existed you know, in this part of Texas ever since then, and the core business and the focus is on Brahmin genetics. Um, we're kind of a worldwide supplier of Brahmin genetics, but we do a lot of work here in the States as well, uh, mostly with live animals here in the States. So uh, that's, you know, in a nutshell, that's what we do. We're, we are in the Brahmin business and we are on the coastal bend of Texas where it's hot and humid until it gets cold. I don't imagine those those creatures with the big floppy ears, they work pretty well for you down there, don't they? They do. They do. We, we say that they didn't read the same book that other cattle read. Right. They're, they're a little different, um, but they have their place. You know, there's some challenges with them, but they're, they're unique. Um, there's a lot of things I love about them. And, you know, for instance, in our grazing, people always ask me about shade. Is shade an issue? And I tell them that our cattle get plenty of shade from sundown to sun up. They can soak up all the shade they want. And then when the sun comes up, it's time to get to work. And for the most part, it, you know, it doesn't affect them. And we do have some crossbred cattle. So you get to have a good side-by-side -side comparison of how they handle the elements. Okay. We, we can kind of circle back to your cows later, but what I'd really like to talk about today is a little bit more of the history of the ranch and succession people management. You know, I know from some of our previous conversations that you guys went through uh, kind of a major succession event in the recent past. Was it uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago, something like that? Yeah, it was 2010. We put the started in, I think, 2007, and it took us about three years to work through it. And so. you've got another one coming up at, that you're dealing with right now, too, correct? Well, somewhat. My, my kids are young and, and, you know, there's never, it's never too early to start thinking about that and start planning for it. And so I'm going to uh, RFP succession intensive next week. 
And I'm, you know, really excited about that just to put more tools in my toolbox and to, to learn more from Dave and to work through my own situation. So yes, I don't, I can't tell you where this business will be exactly in 20 years from now, but I do want to start to lay the groundwork where we can do a good job with succession with my generation and, and my kids. Hey, can we talk about that succession event in 2007 to 2010 a little bit? And, you know, without getting into the, any of the family specifics, you know, what were some of the wrecks? What did you learn from it? And what are you changing as far as your succession plan in order to pass it to the next generation? Sure. Um, and if, if you'll give me a little bit of latitude, I, I might back all the way up to, you know, the 1908 partnership and the 1963 deal. Sure. Um, our family has always been the fair is equal, equal is fair mindset. Many of my dad's generation and, and many of my generation still feel the same about that. So, so when they started in 08, they had specific positions for, you know, whatever your talents aligned with. And people manage certain parts of the ranch, like the forage, and then somebody else managed the facilities. And it existed like that from 08 to 63, and it kind of got to be a monster. And the family was just living out of the same bank account. And so a succession event precipitated the 1963 split. It was just one big ranch with, at that time, probably 2,000 cows. And everybody had their own jobs, and they, they worked well together. And one of the ancestors came in and said, I want out. You know, I, I want my land. I'll sell the cows to you at a reasonable cost, but I, I, we need to part ways. And so my great uncle was, was really wise and was a great cattleman, and he was very proactive. And he said, okay, I think it took him a day and a half to sit down and say, this is the way we're going to do it. So they split the ranch into five at that point, and they, they split the land uh, and the cow herds, and everybody got pretty much an equal share, and we became incorporated. And so... I had uh, somebody that was studying family businesses that was in the, uh, oh, the, uh, I drew a total blank, but the, the program where a lot of these scholars uh, travel around the world and look at different things, I'll think of it in a minute, but um, anyway, somebody came here and they were studying our family history and they said, oh, this is really fascinating because um, what most families do is they, they go on is they continue to put stuff together and grow it, put stuff together and grow it. And you guys came to the decision at some point that you better separate it so that you could stay together. And so that's probably the only reason why we're still in business, because if you would imagine all of those ancestors continuing to grow and trying to operate out of the same uh, bank account and, and, you know, it just got to be a monster. So that we have that history in my family and the fair but equal uh, thing or equal is fair and fair is equal thing. So my grandparents were, were raised like that and they were a product of, of having that succession occur before. So that, that was their experience. So basically my dad and his three siblings all had a 25% undivided interest in everything. You know, there was no specificity and nothing, you know, when I tell this, I'm very candid and, and very open about telling stories like this. And I don't want people to ever misunderstand me that I'm being critical of the way things were done because everybody did the best they could with the information that they had. Um, I don't hold anything against, everything happens for a reason. So nothing against my grandparents, nothing against my aunts and uncles, everything's great. But basically that was the communication was that this is all gonna be y'all's. 
all 25% undivided interest. And so then, then nothing else was done. And I think when they did it, they probably had the thought that, well, we will grow this business and we'll do this and, it's, and, and we'll be in a position one day to where it will be really easy to, to share all of this. And, um, you know, as, as we know in agriculture, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. So at that point, um, when everything kind of hit the fan, uh, there had been one attempt to, to reach out and communicate from the, my dad's siblings at one point, and my grandfather and grandmother kind of just squashed it, and, and nothing came out of it. And then about five years later, or six years later, I think it was, um, it, it was kind of like they were at the point in their lives to where they needed something to happen. Um, they wanted their 25%. And so they initiated that, that discussion. And that was in, I think it was in 2007. So I'd been home for six years, pretty much managing the ranch alongside my dad. And um, it was tough, you know, to, to think about the future and what's going to happen and how, how we're going to make this work. And their, their idea initially was, was we're just going to sell the whole thing and split up, split the money and whatever you guys do with your money, fair enough, you know, and uh, of course, we didn't want to see that because for, for obvious reasons, all the hard work going down the drain, the generations and everything else. So uh, it took us a long time to, to sort of work through it. And I guess it was that it was good and bad because by the time we were so frustrated, by the time we got to the end, it was just time to make a deal and get it over with. Uh, there was a lawsuit in there at one point. Um, which, you know, created some pretty deep scars with some. And um, I saw my dad struggling with it. And, you know, he lost years off his life, I think, just from the stress of it all. And I think one of the things that just to share with your listeners that I learned from it, one of the biggest things I learned from it, for whatever reason, again, I don't want to sound critical, that, that generation, the traditionalist generation, they aren't built to communicate and to get in touch with the emotions of this stuff and to work through it. It's very, very hard for them, whether it was the way they raised or the time that they were raised in. Um, and that was probably the hardest thing. You know, I think I heard uh, Jolene Brown speaking about this not too long ago. And, and she said that everything we do in the ranch, we're used to doing really well. And we don't know how to do that. So our solution is just to not do it. And, and that was the, the frustrating part was just, well, let's just hold the line and everything will work itself out instead of, instead of being proactive. Of course, that was all before I had any, I've never been to ranch profit school, didn't have an executive link board. Uh, so I was just up late at night uh, eating half of a half gallon of bluebell ice cream, stressing, trying to figure out, scribbling numbers down on paper, trying to figure out what the heck to do. Um, finding a method to communicate is my, my number one thing and figuring out how to get people to put their cards on the table because there was things we learned at the very end that if we would have known in the beginning, part of the reason why the, the event was initiated, it, it was, it was almost laughable. I mean, it was, it was almost silly that what had happened. And so they were pushing our hand. And then the more they pushed, 
the more alarm bells were going off for us and we were like, why are they so insistent that we do this by this day? And what's this? So we thought they were up to no good and, and what it initiated it, they thought we were up to no good. And everybody in the whole deal had good intentions the entire time. They just wanted to do something and get it behind us. And so if we had figured out how to communicate from the beginning, it would have made it a, a lot easier in all levels. You know, I, I seem to remember something my dad mentioned about uh, when they had their succession agree when they had their succession with uh, the Skinner family back in the early eighties, that if people would just communicate, just be honest about what you want out of the end goal and talk about it and try not to keep secrets and don't angle for position, just talk to the other parties and be open about this is what I want guys. You know, yeah, we know that, you know, it's undivided interest, whatever percent, whatever percent, but this is the part that's important for me to continue, right? Yeah, that, that, that exactly. But, but, you know, it's easier said than done. Um, and I, I like to see people get help on things like this. Of course, I didn't know what that, I didn't do it. I didn't get any help, you know, maybe talk to a friend or two. And, um, a lot of times that help, like, it, I guess it looks expensive and you don't know who to reach out to, but, uh, man, talk about a lot of value and having somebody that can be the mediator to, to help draw these things out and to get to the, the, um, you know, the interest versus the position. And it's, that would have helped us immensely, but yeah, there was so many, so many things we were holding our cards close to our chest and we're, worried about this and that and the what ifs. And uh, at the end of the day, the funny thing is, is that we ended up at the end of that succession event with a quarter of the land mass and uh, less than half the cow herd and have been more successful since and have, you know, had the same overheads. We didn't lose, we did not cut loose any overheads and maybe some minimal overheads with land taxes or whatnot, but we leased a little bit of that land back, you know, and now we're back up to about the same size, not on all owned land, but uh, been, you know, way more successful because the funny thing is, is that looking back, it, it feels like those silent partners were a pretty handy excuse for all those years for, you know, the stuff that we couldn't do or we wouldn't do or, well, it'd be nice to do this or that, but we couldn't get everybody to agree to it. And once we put ourselves in a position yeah. where we had to row our own boat, you know, then, then we, we started to be more successful. So, Sorry, CK, I didn't mean to. No, I, I get, I get asked a lot. Um, Cause sometimes we get deals done really fast in our the fund uh just being in startup mode and they're like how are you able to get this carbon deal done faster than someone else and i'm like well we we just don't have a lot of cooks in the kitchen like there's not a lot of people who have to to give approval for this and so it's really nice to be able to make a decision that that it is a decision you don't have to get approval from the board and then from the land well we had to get from the landowner but from like 10 other people so i think that's that's a 
powerful thing to say is what are our roadblocks and how do we remove them? And I'm not saying that your family yeah. was a roadblock, but maybe it was a both for both parties, uh, a way to be more, have more progress. Yeah. And I, I think the, I think it goes a little deeper than that too, because, um, I think our brains too often, uh, they're helping us take the easy way out. Yes. So they, they might not have even been a roadblock on some things, but just the thought that I can use them as an excuse, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, was a, so I don't know. There's all kinds of things that, that have come to fruition since then that um, just I wouldn't go back. You know, I would have done some things differently if I had the knowledge then that I know that I have now. But um, I wouldn't go back to the way that it was. I love many, so many of the changes we made on the ranch were 100 percent precipitated by that event. You know, and it's kind of like when they say oh, I got fired and I thought it was bad, but it turns out it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, we're talking about decision-making and in a business-type situation. I'm, I am, I'm part ownership, I'm management, and I'm labor, all rolled into one. So if something needs to be done, I don't need to have two planning meetings to talk about doing it and how right. we're going to execute it and where we're going to find the money. It's just... Oh, do I have the money? Yeah. Do I have the stuff? Yeah. Well, let's just go get it done then. So, but then again, um, if anything really happens to me, there's not a lot of resiliency in my organization. Right. We're working on that. Yeah. Which we, which we can kind of circle into people management a little bit. How are you addressing uh, your labor needs on the, the lock division of JD Hudgens? Well, so here again, I'm sometimes I feel like I'm a little too open and uh, a little, little too candid about some of the stuff. So, you know, when people, I know the way that I've looked at some people in the past and people hear that I'm, I'm, you know, teaching the ranching for profit school. My biggest fear is that somebody looks at me and says, Oh, that means he's got it all figured out, you know, cause they would only let him teach if he's got it all figured out. Right. And so I've kind of been on a bit of a, of a roller coaster labor wise for the last several years. And, and I've seen a lot of different stuff and done a lot of different stuff. And I'm not going to say that um, I've got that figured out yet. I've, I recently have hired a, a high quality full time employee. Um, and I have been dealing with mostly part time and intern labor for the better part of the last four years, three and a half years, and been, been for the most part, been really successful with it. And the way that I've been able to do that is to take some complex theories and, and complex principles and make them absolutely as simple as possible and prioritize. And um, I've, I'm proud of the fact that if I'm going to take in an intern, a lot of it is my gut, but um, there's a lot of it just learning what questions to ask and how to read people and, and the kind of intern that you're going to bring on board. And then after that, it's having a training program. And this has all just been trial and error and having a very simple training program to start with the highest priority and get these people onboarded and, and help them understand what your mission is and what, they're, what you're trying to accomplish with that position and then building on it. And um, I've taken a lot of what 
appears to be complex stuff and, and really simplified it down to where I can take somebody in and, you know, several days later I can leave for a week and they can manage stuff. So, um, but that put me in a position. You want to license that system? I mean, tell us your secrets. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there are any secrets. I mean, there's things that I've had to do with this business that doesn't look like a wise idea to some outsiders, but it's for that reason that, you know, well, I can't have the high, uh, the most high school guy here all the time and do X, Y, and Z and, you know, all of this crazy stuff because um, those guys are hard to find. And when you do get them, they're not going to stay long. I don't have the kind of business to where I'm probably going to keep that guy for a long time. Ultimately, I'm, I've been back and forth on this idea, but ultimately I would like to be some sort of an incubator for talented people with drive to, to come here as a step on their way to go into something bigger. And so I'm trying to build that a little bit more now. Uh, when I hired this higher quality full-time employee recently, um, it's made me question whether I'm still going to stay on that path or not, but um, that's, that's definitely a thought because it's just the, the business that we're in, we had a guy work for us for 40 years and, and passed away, you know, and um, I don't know if we're in that, that day and time anymore. It's, it's, you know, kind of funny to say that, but so I see a lot of really good employers that turn over people two and a half, three years and, and they're good employees as well. So I don't know. That's a, that's a really tough one. And um Ultimately, the reason why I hired this quality full-time employee is because I, I took a step back. I, I could manage this ranch on probably 30 hours a week by myself. But then I took a step back and I said, well, is that the business that's going to allow me to live up to my potential? And is the business going to be at its, high, its highest potential doing that? Maybe that's something I do 15 years from now you know, or maybe that's something I do down the road, but so I'm back in a growth mindset. I'm back in a high quality employee mindset, but I do have experience kind of on, on both sides of it. And uh, I know that the bottom line is, is that you got to make something work for, for what you need to do. And when I was younger, you know, I was the 80, hundred hour a week guy and was pretty dead gum proud of it. And uh, I, once I had kids and got married and, uh, I just found out real fast that wasn't going to work. So uh, whatever you're doing, you probably are going to have to simplify things, and whether you're doing it yourself, you're using quality employees or, uh, or intern labor, whatever. Not that the interns aren't quality too, but uh, you know what I'm saying. So I think simplification and creating the systems to allow you to operate the business efficiently are huge. Okay. I mean, you've got me really curious about some of these, you know, quote, complex principles that you've managed to simplify and, and kind of compartmentalize that you can teach. And I'm just I'm really curious as to what some of those are, if you'd want to share those with us, because, you know, it, we, we have a little bit of history and I kind of know how you graze and how you run your cows. So um, it, if you need to talk about some of that, some of the changes you made and and you know, in order to bring on this employee and make it a workable environment for them, but still make your business goals. 
Yeah, so I had a feeling that I made that sound way too good. Like, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> and now you want to know more. Hey, damn it. No, so let, let me think of some, some examples. And really, the, the grazing is probably the easiest, most obvious place to start. Um, you know my style of, of grazing, but for your listeners that might not know, um, I am a, a believer thus far. Everything is, is open to, to change at some point. I'm not going to say that my way is the right way, but an ultra high density selective grazing. And so our cattle will move. Right now we're actually, we've slowed down a bit and our cows are moving four times a day. Um, I have moved as many as 10 times a day, 10, 8, 10, 12 times a day, every day for a couple of years at least. And the fact that I say that we're moving four times a day, a lot of people read that. They say, oh, well, yeah, who would have guessed you got burned out? And that's not necessarily the case. It's, it's not about burnout, but it's just about management, some, some other decisions. So, but the way that I graze, you could say, wow, a guy's going to have to, he's going to have to study that to manage your system for two years to learn how to make decisions and to, to figure out when to move the cows. And, um, you know, I think I can teach somebody how to do it in a couple of weeks. Um, maybe not for some of the situations you get in. Okay. Well, we had four inches of rain overnight. They plugged this pasture. What do we do now? But it's not that hard the way we do it. We observe the cattle and the cattle tell us about 90% of what we want to know. And then of course we need to re observe recovery and, and try to figure out what's going on with recovery. We need to observe our graze and our recovery, but the cattle will tell you if you're doing a good job on your graze and if you're doing a good job on your recovery as well. So if I can teach somebody to go out there and read uh, gut fill manure and contentment, you know, first thing in the morning and last thing. Um, and, and then it becomes more about giving them the tools and the procedures, standard operating procedures to be able to do their job efficiently to where it's almost incidental that the, the, um, the mechanics of doing the job and they can spend their time using their brain to observe and to think, okay, well, where should we go next? And, you know, what happened in this paddock and what are the cows telling me right now? So there's little things like the way that we've designed our, our buggy to carry all of our tools, the way I teach somebody to put out a reel. And it's all about priorities. You know, we teach in the school that autonomy, mastery, and purpose are the three most important things for employees. And so I don't want to, I don't want to have a robot that I've programmed to do X, Y, and Z, but I do want to make sure that they're hitting the most important points you know, and there's, so when I teach them that, I try to teach them why. Okay, well, we hooked the, we hooked the reel on here. And when we hook the reel on, or the, the handle on the fence here, we already have the buggy pointing this way, just all the little things that go together to make their job easy and, and efficient. Um, we've got to start in the day checklist and end of the day checklist. There'll be like five items on there and they're just, just big ticket, you know, important things. And if you do those things, everything else will be okay. You know, we've got a standard operating procedure, but it's just a, it's just a checklist. When you move the cows, these are the things that are important. And if you do those things, everything else will be okay. So that's how you take someone with little to no skills. Can people still mess it up? Yes. 
I, I've seen that, but, um, and, and some of that comes from my experience as a pilot, you know, when we have acronyms that you pre-take off checklist and there's, there's so many acronyms that we use, you do your gumps check before landing. And so I carried that into ranching because when somebody turns the cows into the next paddock on a timer on a move, and that paddock wasn't closed, you know, the gate was open and they went wound up four paddocks down. Okay, well, that's kind of like somebody landing with their gear up. What, what chain of events took place that caused that to happen? So what do we need to do? And I feel like um, that's, it's evolved, it's constantly evolving, but uh, there's a lot of stuff like that that we've kind of figured out through the years that we can, can teach people. You mentioned three things earlier and you said them really fast. And I think it was manure, gut fill, and contentment is what you're looking for on the cattle. Yes. So why are the, why are those the three most important things that you're looking at? Cause if you got a happy cattle, you're going to be making money. And in my opinion, you know, um, and I'm a Ian Mitchell Ennis, I guess you could say disciple, but, um, how, how are we supposed to make money in the cattle business if our cattle aren't performing well? Uh, in our environment, we can grow a whole lot of poor quality grass very fast. And there comes a, a whole other set of challenges with probably grazing this environment. But if I can keep cows full and have their manure looking right and they're happy, everything should be okay. You know, um, I mean, you think about a cow's job. Yeah, I mean, you could have a mineral imbalance or you could have a terrible water quality issue, but it's probably going to show itself in the cattle. There's there's other things aside from contentment like coat and whatnot. But man, so back to your original question about systems. That in itself is just a system to where we don't have to grow, go to the graze chart, look at our rainfall totals, look at our, you know, the weather forecast and do all of these things to manage the cows. We just have to watch the cows. And I like, I love telling people this. And I think a lot of people probably think I'm stupid, but I firmly believe in it. So as we get towards our summer slump, you know, if we do a good job of the three things I told you about day in and day out, and we're monitoring our recovery and, you know, not uh, severely grazing. When we start to get to summer slump, one day you'll see the cows laying down and happy at two o'clock in the afternoon. And you'll think, okay, well, that's a little different from yesterday. And they're full, you know, full as can be. So maybe I'm going to plan to set them up a few acres tomorrow. And then I'm going to see how that goes. And then I'm going to set them up a few fewer acres the day after that and keep monitoring that as long as they're full and as long as their manure looks good. Now, if something like that's going on and their manure starts to stack and they start to get a little bit hollow and you got plenty of feed and we can't graze around that, then we'll, we'll look at, you know, possibly um, supplementing with something. So, but I'll look and I, over the course of a week, I will change my recovery from 25 days to 40 days without looking at anything other than the cow. And when you get back around to that first paddock, you're like, hmm, just about right. So it's, it's just simplifying it. And 
I think learning how to observe the cattle and what they're telling you is, is probably one of the most important skills as far as the grazer is concerned. I would definitely agree. And, you know, to some extent, you can't really do it from a cake truck. I mean, you can't do it from the feed wagon because you're not going to see the contentment. You're not going to get a good idea of gut fill. They're going to get excited and they're going to be running for you and they're going to want that snack. It's one of those things that, you know, you've either got to do on foot, you know, calmly out there just on your everyday routine, horseback, whatever, but it's just not something that can really get done with a feed truck. Right. Absolutely. And I, a distinct advantage and I understand that you know I'm not on big country like you are um there's a lot of people when I start preaching about this stuff they're like oh yeah how do you do that on a on a 6,000 acre paddock well I don't know I'd like to try you know I'd like to try to figure it out maybe one day I will um but well, I think us- Ian, Ian Mitchell Eanes he says just divide it in half and do do something with the worst half or or something like that right so yeah. You and then once you get comfortable out. with that, once you get comfortable with that, divide it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have the other distinct advantage too of moving cattle so frequently makes the management so easy. People think that that's counterintuitive and that it's more work and more trouble. But if you can figure out how to do it, it's fine tuning that management versus, oh, well, we had them in a paddock for 24 hours. How did that work out? Well, at what point did they start grazing severely? What, you know, we, we don't really know, but, and I always tell people this too, and I think they laugh at me. If you move cattle 10 times a day for a year, that's 3,650 learning opportunities versus moving them once a day for a year. That's tenfold. So I don't know. It's, it's been a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff but now i'm trying to step back into the ceo people manager role and put that on you know help somebody else develop that skill and so i i did do way too much technician work for too long um but i don't regret it because it's a great experience in it and I've, I've learned a lot and it's still what i enjoy doing but there's just other things that I need to focus on now. So, well, and we can circle it back around to um, the next succession event. I think we covered the last two pretty well. So, what are some of the lessons that uh, learned from the 2000s? I think you said 2007 to 2010 succession event and the 1963 incorporation that you've brought on board and you're incorporating into your succession plan. So the 2010, when we finalized that, it was a, an obvious opportunity to have a discussion with my dad because we could have been back in the exact same situation, you know, 2025 or whatever, 2030. And so I, I just, sat down with him at some point. I think we were on a road trip or something. And I said, look, I know this isn't comfortable to talk about, but um, if you want to do the exact same thing the same way, that's okay. But I just need to know now, like we need to communicate about this now because I might have to make some different decisions and, you know, sort of take my life in a little bit different path. 
uh, or grow the business in a different way or whatever. Because if I'm going to have 75% of it, because I've got three sisters as well. If, if I'm going to take 75% of that and know that it's going to someone else, you know, we need to, we need to figure that out. And it's yours. I think that's something that we all have to remember is that we always want to interject our own wants and desires or whatever. But I was very concerned and still concerned. Well, okay, dad, what do you see? Where do you see this going? Like, what do you want from this? And so after we had that discussion, it's, I tell the story in the school sometimes and everybody laughs and it is kind of funny because he said, Oh, I, I think that's, we need to have that discussion. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, the ranch and the cows and the, the cattle business should go to you. Now you go work that out with your sisters. And so it's like, Oh, great. Thanks dad. Yeah. yeah. But my, my sisters are great. And so it was a tough conversation. I had it over the phone with each of them and said, look, you know, I understand how this looks, but you understand how what we just went through looks, yeah. you know, you didn't think it was very fair. So if, if you don't think that's fair, is this a viable option? If not, let's talk about it. You know, it's kind of a speak now, forever, hold your peace, but, but not exactly. And, um, and they all agreed, you know, that, no, that, that makes sense. I said, look, I could lose the whole thing. I could, I could run this deal in the ground and lose it. And if I do, that's on me. I could grow it. You know, I could, could do crazy stuff with it. And if I do, that's on me. You know, you guys have the next 30 years to do what you're going to do and live your lives and, you know, with your spouses and everything else. And so the agreement that we made was that any of my mom's inheritance and the, you know, the house and all of that stuff would be for my sisters and they would stand to inherit that and that I would inherit the, the ranch and the cows. And I had, I had some comments like, you know, about that, that, well, that sure came out smelling like a rose or that, that sure isn't fair or whatever. And if people feel that way, so be it. But, um, you know, that was sort of the deal that we set up and, and I intend to do something similar with my kids, but I'm, I'm thinking that it'll be more sort of a buy, buyback program or a buy-in. And, um, maybe that was the right thing to have done then, but that was before my RFP experience and, and I hadn't had my eyes open to a lot of things. So I can't really tell you exactly what it's going to be, but I think next week's going to be a lot of fun and, and going over a lot of this stuff with Dave and kind of getting some ideas flowing. Um, Dave's a guy that we haven't had on the show. You'll have to tell him hi for me. We, we need to get him. We need to get a, our schedules together, CK, and get with Dave Pratt and record an episode. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I got to go. I never got taught by Dave, but I got to go to Georgia to the school and observe him for two and a half days. And it's, it's crazy. It's like, makes you feel pretty incompetent yourself i but. love how blunt he is like i had yeah. i think the one last school that he transitioned with dallas was the one i did with him and he just he just tells you how it is and you're like yeah i needed to hear that yeah <laughs> yeah i'm probably not quite that brave not yet anyways you'll no. get there <laughs> yeah. it's exposure I, therapy 
I had Dave for my instructor when I went way back in 2006. And uh, I, I don't want to repeat the name that my dad had for him or what uh, he used to refer to him as. I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, you know, Dave's a unique guy, and I'm glad he was at I'm glad he was at the helm of RMC for as long as he was and helped develop the curriculum. And I don't think that there's anybody better than Dallas to have it handed off to, you know, and Dallas was my instructor when I went back. um, Well, with you and what was that? 2019 fall of 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's going to do good things, but uh, anyway, this isn't a sales pitch for the school that shall not be named. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I know it's I know it's not, but if, if you're you going go. a little bit more. The 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 deal that Dave did, like this is like such a gift for me to be able to I'm so blessed to be able to like walk in and the tools and the curriculum and what he learned. And I don't think a lot of people know that like Dave built like this amazing business to be able to help people like me. It wasn't like that when he got it. You know, he, the, the stuff that he talks about, I mean, it's just, it blows my mind that over a course of years, he did the Watby work to build yeah. RMC to the point where it was and, and just, you know, it's changed a lot of lives. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Stan Parsons, he had a lot of it. You know, he, he gave Dave a really great set of tools that Dave put in a new toolbox and polished them all. And even, yeah, he probably added a bunch of new ones too, but you know, it it only continues to get better and it only continues to get better because, you know, of people like you and graduate support programs and people still being involved in giving feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a cool deal. So, so talk a little bit about this deal you're going to next week, the six RMC for generations. Yeah, yeah, they're calling it a succession intensive, and um, I think Dave's developed all the curriculum for it, and it's going to be in, um, I got my ticket booked, I've been traveling too much lately, it's in Wyoming, uh, it's going to be in Cheyenne, and so it's three days, and basically, we're going to walk out of there with a draft succession agreement, and we're going to do family employment policies, and you know, pretty much the whole, the whole gamut and of the family business deal. So um, it's going to be cool. I think there's going to be a lot of people there that it's a pressing issue for them that they, they know they need to do something. Yes. And they're looking for the tools to do it, you know, so it may be in a different spot in their business than what I am, but it's just going to give me a lot of, you know, stuff to, to plan for the future and to be working on. And then, you know, selfishly, stuff that I can learn and pick up to be able to help other people. That's yeah. that's part of the reason why I'm going. So, so I kind of want to circle back a little bit, and you know, you've been through the whole undivided interest situation, and I know that there's a that's that's a very very common thing. So. Let's talk about it for a second. Do you have any advice for people that are in that sort of situation um, that they are, you know, they're that 33% or 25% undivided to interest or they're, they're, 
that's just the deal that they're locked into. What, uh, what advice would you have for somebody in a situation like that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it's, there's so many different situations out there and there's so many different personalities to where, where people are closed off to, to certain things or, um, or there's been some wedge of resentment that's been, been put in place and grown over the years with, with families, but man, life is so short. And that was the one thing, one of my aunts that really pushed to get this done. We, she and I had had a lot of phone calls together, um, trying to, to work through this and see where each other stood. And she opened up to me a lot and I opened up to her. And ultimately she just, this is a phase in her life to where this is what she wanted. She wanted a place to take her grandkids to. It was her place that she could pass on to them. You know, and she passed away a few years after uh, we closed the deal out. And, and that was, that was all she wanted. And, and, you know, thank God that we were able to do it. We didn't keep fighting over it and everything else. Um, but if people can figure out what they really want, you know, and put, and put aside the, greed or you know the the whole asset succession deal and what do I ultimately want out of this and I, I think that's one side of it because pretty good chance everybody wants something a little bit different right and and maybe there's a situation even if you're an undivided interest and this is the way that it was set up that we have a little give here and a little take here because I want this and you want that let's figure out how to make this work I think the bigger problem is, is that sometimes those wedges of resentment that, that I was talking about, the emotions overrule all of that stuff. So, and some of those things, maybe you can't get through them and you just have to, you know, cut it and, and get over it. But um, trying to work through those things and get into the deeper issues initially, I think, and I've seen situations where there's, you know, apologies and forgiveness and um, that, that kind of stuff. That's, you know, this, these succession events can be a good thing because sometimes you can get all of that out and, and get it over with. But if you don't communicate, then usually they're a bad thing. So I don't know if I've really answered your question there, even though I tried, but um, get to figure, figure, out, why, figure out what you want. And you get to find out why uncle Frank was mad at, you know, Aunt Rita for the last 35 years. Yeah. Yeah, we're really, really, for the most part, ill-equipped to work through that stuff in, in a family because you're dealing with all those emotions. You can't even sit down at a table and, you know, begin that conversation. So if there's a way that you can do that, that's, that's huge. Have you ever used the facilitator for any of those family um conversations no we i mean looking back if we would have been on a yell board and had facilitate no facilitation was available back in the day right. uh, that would have been amazing i think um but we didn't you know we weren't involved with the program yet um i've done several icas for families and it's crazy how much stuff comes out during an ica and how much of those emotions get get laid out there uh, it's a little bit tricky because a lot of people want to get down to the business of 
you know, well, what do we need to do? What enterprises do we need to run, make money and turn this thing around and this and that. And the more I do it, the more I think that if we don't get to the root cause of some of these personality issues or emotional things and, and scars, if we don't figure out what, what our purpose is, what the business's purpose needs to be, we can come up with a hundred ways to make it profitable and make money. But if you don't do it in a way that's fulfilling for the members and, and, and you don't do it in a way that helps you heal some of these relationships, then at the end of the day, what are you going to have? I guess, what's that song? Um, about, it's a country song about uh, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy and anyway, I'm terrible with music. That's the second thing I couldn't remember today. <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm that great with it. it. No, I no. I'm gonna Google it later. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you'll have the money, but you might not have anything else. Yeah. No, I feel like John. I feel like you're speaking to me right now because we've we've recently moved home, um, and we're dealing with a wedge of resentment because uh, my husband finished veterinary school, and so some of his siblings are just showing their ugly, I don't know, emotions that they're resentful of him and his success. And I'm like, wow, like you had every opportunity to do this too. Um, but he's blaming it you know, on family dynamics. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is about, this is not about what I think it's about. It's about a lot more other things of these scars that need to be healed. And then you look at the layers and layers of what the actual why is. And so I say, like, I'd like, I have to remind the family, just keep asking why. And once you get to the, the fifth why, you actually understand what the problem is that need to, needs to be solved. Um, yeah. But it's a struggle. It's really hard to have these conversations because there's so many factors that you had no idea. Oh, I had no idea that this was what this was about. He threw, he threw my s'mores in the campfire when I was seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. It's like just little things like that. You're like, okay, let's, let's figure it out though. You know, I want to move yeah. forward and resolve this. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how many times people put their own problems and insecurities on you. You know, just, just the fact that they were never brave enough to go out and, you know, uh, go to vet school or, or, or educate themselves it makes them feel somehow you know, it, it brings that stuff to light. And so then they turn around and they put it on somebody else. And, and then when you get it put on you, then you react negatively and it's just, yes. you're just throwing fuel on the fire. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I've just, uh, just been quiet now. I'm like, okay, let's just, let's just listen, listen to everyone else and, and not add fuel. So definitely a conversation though. Cause like even with COVID, um, and I even think with all of us isolating ourselves and having other health issues mentally and physically, I think about the health of my parents and they've communicated with me and my sisters what they've wanted. But on the other side, my in-laws, there's nine siblings and there's really no communication of what the succession plan is. And we've tried to bring it up a couple of times. Um, do you have any advice of like, do you just like how do you break through and to actually have that conversation where it doesn't come off as I don't at the end of the day I really don't want any assets I don't want an interest I just want to know what you want at the end of the day and if you're in a position where you can't make those decisions or they can't be voiced 
I want it to, to be known now so that we can help get what you want to succeed. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I think, I think what you're talking about is absolutely the most common thing that we Brian, you had that discussion, right? With your dad. Uh, my, my situation is a little more simple. Um, yeah, but we we have a partnership purchase agreement um, okay. that we're working off of. So, like, you know, I invest money, I buy shares out of out of partnership, and you know, that's how I'm. That's how our succession plan is working. That you know, I'm buying into the asset as mm-hmm. we're going. I I think, and this is just one strategy. Um, yeah, I I think that. You have to be direct, and I'm guessing that you probably try to be indirect. But what questions you're asking, and and yeah. so do you want to pass this place and this business on, and keep it intact? Right. And that's a yes or no question, and pretty good chance they're going to answer it as a yes. Well, mm-hmm. if that's what you want, you know, I'm guessing that we don't have the tools to do that, but. Is that something that you want to work on? Something you want to do? Um, I don't know. I think that questions is is where it's at. And sometimes it's so hard to ask the right question, but you can let somebody, you can shut somebody down with the question you ask, or you can let them off the hook. And one of the biggest things that I've learned recently is, is let them talk. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of them don't want to talk. They just don't want to talk about it because they don't know what to do. But if you can figure out a way to get them to talk and then then listen, um, there's probably an issue of fairness there. They they feel like that, well, it's not fair if we do this or that. And and you already said that, you know, you don't feel like you, you deserve it or you want it. So figuring out what's driving them and what's keeping the conversation. Yes. Yeah. So is equal fair and is fair equal? What's what's the word fair mean? Right. What's normal mean? I mean, exactly. setting on a dryer, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's in my mind, it, it goes back to the question that I just, just asked. Yeah. What do you want? So acknowledging from the beginning that it is theirs, it's their asset, yes. it's their legacy. And I, I like that question too. What do you see as your legacy? Is it all the work that you've put into this place in this place? Or is it the fact that you built a business and you figured out how to do this and you figured out how to do that, that pioneering spirit, you know, what is that legacy? And so um, if you go to the person that, owns the asset and has a legacy that, that whether it's the asset legacy or whether it's the, the legacy of their spirit and the stories that they want to have passed on and you ask them, what do you want to have happen? Do you want this to continue? And they say, yes. Okay. Well, if we split it up equally amongst nine heirs, what is the likelihood of that happening? It's yeah. not very good. Right. And so, so my, I guess my place of concern and, and becoming it as in-law too, I feel very much like I shouldn't 
right? But I also am a person, and Brian knows this, I embrace conflict because once you embrace conflict, that's how you resolve it, right? It's ignoring conflict makes it worse, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, so I'm the sister-in-law who embraces conflict. And I do that with good intention. So, so I think I say that with, I see this as a, as a point of weakness that will break this family apart. And I just want to prevent that from happening. I want to be proactive about it. And I think even if that means my husband and I say, we don't want anything, but we just want to help facilitate the success of a family and the long-term run, because we both have careers. We're really, we don't really, I mean, we could do this on our own. We don't need any of that kind of stuff. And that's kind of the point we're trying to prove is I don't want to inherit shares or assets or even be on the will or the trust or whatever else, the business. I just want to know what they want in writing. So that it's there in case we ever need it. So do you feel like that's been made clear to the rest of the family thus far? Um, I've talked to it. I've talked to about it with some of the other siblings. Um, it's just, it's just a really weird dynamic. It's this, it's just a, uh, I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Honestly, I, I hope they do listen to it, but uh, I don't think they do. But I, I, they're just a family who avoids conflict at all costs. And yeah. so that's just, uh, I don't even think they think about it, to be honest. The, the other ones I haven't talked to about it. Yeah. And that's, like you said, that that's a way to create so much more conflict by doing your dead level best. Because what happens when you're grieving? you get angry, you feel entitled, everything, other emotion floods you. And so you're not even acting like I I've lost a brother when I was uh, like 21 years old. And uh, the things I did to my mom and my dad and my sisters, I've never seen them that way. And it's, it's just, you never know how a person's going to react until something like that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, one suggestion could be is, is facilitating a meeting yes. amongst the potential heirs without. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah. Just just say, hey, look, we're really concerned about this. Mm-hmm. And we feel like that there's no telling what could happen. And, and we want to see it passed on. But this is our position. We're not doing this because we want to have it passed on to us. But if there's somebody in this room that yeah. is the right person to lead this business going forward. We want to help facilitate that. And by everybody doing nothing, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, John, we got some time left. You want to talk about your cows a little bit? I'm talking about my cows. So what do you sure. learn about your Brahmin cows? The only bovine species that I know of that actually, well, I shouldn't say that, but I, I do say it anyway, that they, they have a soul. Mm-hmm. None, none of the other breeds of cattle, there's, it's like the lights are on, but nobody's mm-hmm. home. It's, and it's funny. So with you mean the, <laughs> I'm sorry, but those are the biggest puppy dog breed ever. <laughs> so um, I had a young man in the school, a Canadian, that, who's transplanted to Texas in Kennewick a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and somebody started talking about Brahmins, and, you know, all oh, the crazy Brahmins, this and that, 
and he he said I didn't have to say it. Thank goodness, because I would have. But he said Brahmins are absolutely the most honest cattle you will ever be around. As far as stockmanship's concerned, if you don't, if you're not a good stockman and you don't know what you're doing, or they've been around somebody previously that was a human and not a good stockman, you could have problems. But they are they are really really honest and they're highly intelligent and you know i've petted a herford before i don't want to admit that in front of too many people i think i've probably maybe petted an angus but it's it's not the same like the the personality good or bad they're just a breed of cattle with a lot of personality fair enough fair enough i was uh i was actually with one of my good friends today and we were riding around and we were talking about uh tiger stripes which is you know a brown bull on a hereford cow and you know it, i don't know if it's one of those things that was a fad once and it's just coming back around again or if it's or if it's people are just starting to rediscover something else that works because i i've seen some tiger stripes grow up here in my country and they they do really well they don't necessarily handle the nicest in the world but that might have been from some of their previous exposure to other people's stockmanship. Right. But, you know, they gained well and they looked really good on the native forage without much supplement. Yeah. So they're that that's 90% of the reason to have Brahmins on the face of this earth is, you know, that hybrid vigor that you can get. And it's not just tiger stripes. The, the Brahmin Angus F1 is amazing too. Um, but I'm sure there's something that's more opposite than a Brahmin and a Hereford. But when you take something that different and you put it together, which I'm not going to knock, I, I, I should probably spend the next 10 minutes knocking Angus because my Hereford friends are going to get mad and think I'm knocking Herefords. But Herefords, you know, obviously there's issues with that breed. Like there is an every breed. Absolutely. There's, so I'm going to say it now so they can't get too mad. There's tons of issues with Brahmins. But you can put those two breeds together and get the most magnificent creature that will outgain, outgrow, outproduce, outmilk almost anything out there. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. You get more of everything. So you're going to get more of the disposition too. And I wouldn't guarantee you that that was all handling. There's some of that that's, that's natural and, and inherent, but, uh, and it could come from the Hereford side just as much as it could come from the Brahmin side. But they're, they're amazing. The Brahmin Angus F1 is amazing as well. Um, if, you have, if you had 500 Hereford cows and you put Brahmin bulls on them and you raised F1s and you had 500 Angus cows and you put Brahmin bulls on them and you raised F1s from them, it's my opinion that across the board you're probably going to make more money and be more consistent with the Brahmin Angus F1. But you're going to ring the bell with the Brahmin Hereford Tiger Stripe. I mean, when you take them to a sale or you sell them in the country or whatever, they're going to bring more money, but they're going to be more consistent, probably be a little bit more likely to have other problems uh, and, and probably have a little more disposition. Well, people in y'all's country, if you're a cow-calf guy, you really should be running a, a quarter Brahmin something. I mean, Because you get most of that benefit and you don't get the, you get a little more cold tolerance and you don't get the, the quite as much disposition 
And when you take something out of that cork blood cow and sell it, there's probably no detectable ear in it whatsoever. So you're not going to pick up any dock on it. Right. Even the quarter buds, really, the quarter buds are are going to sell pretty well. But you got to get there first. You got to go through the half bloods first. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And and we used to we used to sell quite a few F1 bulls, Brahman Hereford bulls. Um, I don't I haven't been doing it lately. It was Enterprise. I started a while back. But you could take that F1 bull, put it on an Angus cow. And I've got people up kind of, you know, Oklahoma, Missouri that have bought some of those bulls and are raising quarter bloods. You lose a little consistency, but man, they're sure, sure good cattle. You get a lot more longevity. You start to think about cow depreciation and what that costs you. You get 25% more longevity with a quarter blood. That's worth a lot of money. I think about cow depreciation every day when I look at my cows. <laughs> Yeah. Scary. Well, you know, I didn't buy mine for a whole lot more than what they're worth depreciated out or salvage value. They just had a calf with them. So, you know, I I got a little bit different perspective on cow depreciation than the guy that goes and buys a pen full of $2,000 heifers. What about, what about a cow you could sell for 5,000? She pounds out at 600. What's that depreciation look like? Pretty it's good. Pretty ugly. Yeah. It's pretty ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So is there uh is there anything you want to get off your chest that we haven't covered today, John? Man, I don't know. Um you said we were gonna talk about succession and people and uh, you feel like I've covered adequately all those things and um when's the next session that you're teaching do you have one scheduled yes i'm teaching phoenix and uh it's december the it's like the eighth through the it's that second week of December. yeah yeah everybody would be wanting to get away i'll put a link in the show notes page to the schedule for the school that shall not be named. He does right. for a living, Brian. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> since I since I get to do Phoenix and enjoy the beautiful warm weather in December, my punishment is having to do Minot in February or late January. So when I said that I'm learning to embrace the cold, yes, it's going to come in handy. Cold. Mm-hmm. You'll acclimate a little. I think you'll learn a whole new type of cold at Minot, North Dakota in February. Yeah, I might not. Uh, I might not embrace that very well. It'll make what happened down there in February look look like a normal summer day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, I just I appreciate you having me on and, um, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing you've got a great podcast and there's so much, so much information out there these days that to, to kind of challenge some of those old paradigms. And, um, you know, we're operating in a tough environment. I'm not talking about me specifically, but I'm talking about ranchers in general. Yes. And we got to stick together and we got to challenge ourselves. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, 
so much you can do with your management to, to be profitable and try to reach that higher quality of life. And, um, it, it just, I don't know. I'm, I appreciate what you guys are doing is what I'm trying to say, because there's a lot of people that are just like, Hey, this is the life we chose and we're just going to tough it out. And, um, I'm not all for that. You know, it's life is short. And if you want something, Definitely. you got to go out there and get it. Yeah. Thanks for that, John. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, CK, but you know, I don't, I have a lot of fun doing it. You know, I get to have a lot of cool conversations with my friends. Oh yeah. You know, and we're always learning stuff and, you know, sharing and spreading the knowledge is part of it. You know, if, if we aren't willing to embrace our failures and share the lessons that we've learned, other people are doomed to repeat those mistakes. And you know, things are changing so fast. We've seen so much change in the last 18 months, you know, in, in the beef industry, in communications, in government. And there, it's a really fascinating time to be alive because there's so many things changing Mm -hmm. so fast. And, you know, in some ways I feel pretty lucky that, you know, I live out here in the country, you know, like, you know, the rest of us do. Yep. And we have the benefit of this modern technology and we get a direct periscope into what's going on anywhere we want in the world. Yes. And it's, it's just fascinating to see all the change taking place and, you know, people starting to ask questions about where their food comes from and what's sprayed on it. You know, that being able to, being able to have, consumers directly connect with producers through this miracle of the internet you know it's it's a fascinating time to be alive yeah it really is it's um and it it kind of brings to mind for me that that quote i don't even know where it came from but the guy that was in the the horse and buggy business at the turn of the century what happened to his business but the guy that was in the transportation business could be the same guy, you know, and, and that's what I keep challenging myself to, to, you know, keep looking at this business, keep looking at what we're doing and keep figuring out, you know, what is it, what, what's at the core. And, um, it's, it's, so I don't want to get off on a soapbox, but, you know, a lot of people look at what we do and, and they say, Oh yeah, you got reputation, worldwide reputation and this and that, and it's so easy and all that, but that, that, just build some strong, strong paradigms about the way that you should be operating and the way that you should be functioning. And so uh, that's what I keep trying to challenge myself on is that, you know, what, are we in the horse and buggy business or are we in the transportation business? And what is at the core? What do I need to be doing for my family, for my land, for my livestock to be able to keep going in this challenging environment? Am I in the cattle business? Am I in the land business? Am I in the ecosystem services and benefits business? Or am I in the energy business? That's what I've started telling people lately is like if I sit down on an airplane next to somebody, which can't hardly talk to you these days with a mask on, but like, so what do you do? You know, typically, well, I'm in the cattle business and I've started telling people I'm an energy management specialist. And they're like, oh, tell me more about that. And 
you know, I'm trying to manage my energy and the people I have around me to harvest energy from the sun and turn it into money. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. So, um, but when you've got six generations in a family business and operating in the same environment, like we've been doing, it's, it's scary and fun to start challenging some of those paradigms and thinking, okay, well, what, what is this? What, what, what does my family look like a hundred years from now? So it's a little bit scary, but you know, that's the way we all better be looking at it. I think. Oh yeah. Making better decisions for the long term, making sure we leave it a little bit better for the next generation. Yes, sir. Well, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap up. CK, do you have anything else? Um, we may need to get back in the horse and buggy business, though. If this world hey. keeps turning the way it is. That's true. <laughs> that's true. No, that's all I have. Okay. John, we appreciate you joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been a great episode, and we'll catch everybody next week. I really appreciate the time John took out of his busy schedule to sit down and have a chat with us. I really appreciate you, all of our loyal fans and listeners, but I need you to ask you to do something. I need you to go leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's on Spotify, whether it's on Apple or it's on Google. Please go leave us a review and then come to the Ranching Reboot Paddock, our private Facebook group, and tell us which one's your favorite episode. And you know, you can even use our Facebook group to suggest guests or topics or ask questions and see what we're up to. So come check us out on our private Facebook group, Ranching Reboot Paddock. Don't forget to leave us a review and share us with your friends. You guys have a great week. I'm Red Hills Rancher. Out.